Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Brian Gibbs. I want you to grab your Bibles tonight, if you will. I'd like you to go to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be going through a lot of different scriptures tonight. So you want to use your Bibles. You want to use that iPad. Use that smartphone. Would you do that? Three of you. That's fantastic. Would you, would you do that tonight? So I've been asking the Lord for very special grace to rest on me for this night, to be able to impart the word and to impart it properly with his heart so that it becomes alive in us and so that his, his word transforms us and we become all that he is dreaming for us to become. Amen? That we literally become all that God is dreaming of you and I becoming. Amen? So important. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to move through some scriptures tonight, so be prepared. Lord, we just thank you again for the great privilege of meeting tonight here at Victory. I thank you, Lord, even just for Saturday night services. I thank you that, that we are a first fruits of the weekend for this region. I thank you, Lord. I, I just I think about that so much, Lord, that we're a first fruits that just gets to go right into the high praises of our God to just launch our region into praise and worship and adoration, Lord, in the very atmosphere of this region. We just pray for the churches, Lord, of this entire region to be set ablaze by the Spirit of God. May the pulpits of Sarasota and this region be set on fire. <laughs> oh, Lord, let your joy just burst out in the churches of our region. Lord, just ambush, ambush. Lord, set ambushes of your holy angels and heavenly activity to burst forth, Lord, in the churches in our region. In the name of Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for the great privilege of being able to come together as family tonight. I thank you for new friends, Lord, that have walked into this place and that are being bonded to this house and the, and the heart that is in this house, Lord, and even this, the DNA that you are building here. And I just bless them to receive, Lord. I bless the beautiful work that you're doing in every life and in every individual and family. And I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that I have to give your word and to administer your word. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you will far exceed what Brian's able to do in the natural. I thank you that you impart spirit and life tonight in Jesus' name. Spirit and life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's good. <laughs> Praise our God. Amen. You know, um, years ago, my, um, my wife and I, we were pioneering um, our first church, and, and my wife was working at a company called Brighton. Any ladies ever heard of Brighton? Can I get a shout from the ladies in the house? And soon into my, my wife beginning to work there, I went to see her. And my wife introduced me to the ladies there on the staff at Brighton, and, and it was nice to meet them and, and shook hands and spent a little time with their core group there and their team, their staff there at Brighton. And then I left, and one of the ladies said to my wife, she said, you know, I, I'm just, I'm having a hard time um, seeing your husband in that long robe and wearing that tall hat. Some of you are going to get that in a second. My wife said, yeah, I'm having a hard time imagining that myself. Well, my wife told that staff of Brighton that her husband was a pastor and that we were pastoring. And, and that, that lady's grid and understanding for religion was attached to a figure of a long robe and, and a priest wearing a tall hat. Are you tracking with me now? Are you tracking with me? And it was quite humorous. I remember that day when Brent, when I picked Brent up and she said, I got to tell you something that's so funny. But it's so true. You, you, you really never know what people's spiritual grid is. 
you know, and what people think even, even about the church. And, you know, speaking of that, I'm, I'm very thankful that my job is not sitting inside of a large wooden box listening to people speak to me through a grid and, and confessing their sins to me. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And me sitting on the other side of that and having to release those blessings. Can I just tell you very frankly, I want to tell you very frankly, man's religious attempts to hang and cling on to God are a failure. Religion is such actually a mockery of the good news and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It is such a failed attempt to try to cling on to God. But the good news of the gospel is this, that in Christ, God clings and hangs on to man. In dead religion, it's always going to be a failed attempt to cling and hang on to God. But in Christ, God clings and hangs on to you and I in eternal, unfailing, unbroken covenant. Go ahead and respond to that. Go ahead. Come on. God's covenant love is not fragile. God's covenant love is not fragile. It's a covenant love, and it's unfailing. But the truth of it is, is that the only way that it can be broken is when we walk away from such a great love and such a great grace. Isn't that amazing? In Hebrews 4, verse 14... It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Isn't that powerful? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, I'm building a very strong foundation for where we need to go tonight. Let's read it again. Are you there? Hebrews 4 and 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're not clinging religiously through some priest hoping and a praying that God is going to hear us. We have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. I think that's amazing. The king of love literally left his throne to become a man, the son of man, so that he could literally sympathize and empathize with the feelings and the struggle and the pain of what we go through in our humanity. Folks, that just blows my mind. It's it's just immeasurable that the Lord of glory, the Son of God, would stoop down in humility and take on the form of a man. That's amazing to me. It says that he he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Does that give anybody inspiration and hope? Come on, does it give anybody hope in this place? It gives me great hope, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I want you to jump over to Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. Sometimes I give you the title of what I'm going to be meandering my way through with the Holy Spirit as we put up our sails and just let the winds of God blow. But I'm going to give it to you at the end tonight. Hopefully you can see where we're going because we're going somewhere. Where we're going, we don't need roads. (laughs) Sorry, back to the scriptures. Verse 1, 
and you and I, he made alive. Yay. Are you with me? He made you alive. He made you alive. This is a good broadcasting announcement tonight. He's made you alive. You and I, we were dead, weren't we? We were dead in our our trespasses and in our sins in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is actually now at work within the sons and daughters of disobedience among whom all of us were what we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh according to the desires of the flesh and of the mind we were by nature children of wrath just as the others but God but God who is rich in mercy I love that this is who our father is this is who our father is he's rich In mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up together, and he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the age to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus. Here we go. Verse 8. You ready? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Let's read that together tonight. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Keep reading. Lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. Everybody say this tonight. It is by grace I have been saved. Isn't that beautiful? Let's define grace tonight. Grace is what? Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God. Would you write that in your notes tonight? It is the free and it is the unmerited favor of God. And the way that that happened, the way that grace came to us, it was manifested through the Father's love towards us in sending Christ, our high priest. Amen? For God to dream a dream of us having full access to Him, it took Him giving all that He had to give. It took the Father giving all that He had to give That was in Jesus to bring us into a right relationship so that grace could cover us to come into right relationship with our Father. The grace of God is not cheap, ladies and gentlemen. I want to say that again. The grace of God is not cheap, ladies and gentlemen. The grace of God is so wondrous, we we, we, we are hardly even able to scratch the surface of how powerful the revelation of the grace of God is to us. The grace of God goes beyond even the favor and the unmerited grace and favor of God, but it goes into an empowerment. Grace is literally an empowerment for us to become Something supernatural that literally in the natural cannot take place. But because God is so rich in mercy and grace, we are able to become something we've never dreamed of before. Glory to God. It literally cost the Father all that He had to give to bring us grace. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. This is the good news. He did not send His Son to condemn us. He sent His Son to loose us and free us from the snares of sin and bondage. Are you with me tonight? Come on, are you with me tonight? Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, put it in your notes tonight. It says this. It says, it is literally the goodness and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. 
I want to speak that over you tonight, Romans 2 and 4. It is literally the goodness and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Now, don't be afraid of the word repentance tonight. I said, don't be afraid of the word repentance tonight. In the book of Titus, I want you to go there. The book of Titus, chapter 2. Lord, I pray that the fierceness and the aggressiveness and the jealousy of your love takes hold of our heart tonight for us. In Jesus' name. In Titus chapter 2, this is such an amazing word. Let this word take hold of your heart tonight. Verse 11 through 13. It says, for the grace of God... That brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching or training us that denying ungodliness and and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ." Now, this is powerful. Look what the grace of God does. You need to write this down. You need to make this your your declaration. The grace of God brings salvation. Amen? Say that. The grace of God brings salvation. But also, what does it do? Grace teaches us and instructs us. Do you see that? Teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. The grace of God trains you and I. It tutors us. The grace of God instructs us. And what does it instruct us to do? This is strong. This is strong language. The true grace of God instructs and disciplines me and teaches me and tutors me to deny worldly lust. Wow. The grace of God should cause me to live soberly. What? I mean, can, can the church of 2018 hear this word? Are you afraid to answer me tonight? Can the grace of God do this? Can it, can it actually, can the grace of God actually teach a generation how to live soberly and uprightly? The grace of God teaches us to live righteously. Wow. This is strong. Godly in this present age. See, the the grace of God is going to train me. The grace of God is going to tutor you and discipline you to be sober and to be strong and alert and awake so that you are not ensnared or enslaved by the things that the enemy would love to enslave you in. The grace of God does this, ladies and gentlemen. The grace of God is not, it's not just the favor and the unmerited favor and the grace of the Lord. It is an empowerment over sin that you can live victoriously. I'll tell you what. We're going to teach this church how to shout eventually one day. I'm telling you right now, we're going to learn how to shout in this place. You know, when we're in the prayer room, I I mean that. When we're in the prayer room, when we get here at 5 o'clock, I teach our intercessory prayer team, when someone prays, I teach them respond to their declaration with a shout of victory. And we do it every time because it changes the atmosphere. When faith is released and when praise and faith is released on the Word, I'm telling you, power is released. Ah, here we go. Gibbs is just, here we go. Write this down tonight. Grace is not an invitation to fall into sin. Grace is an invitation to fall into love. (laughs) Come on. Grace is not an invitation to fall into sin. Grace is an invitation to fall into love. Now, here's a strong word for you. Everybody, let's eat our vegetables tonight, amen. Our moms and dads taught us to eat our vegetables. Here's one of them, ready? 
Proverbs 3, verse 7, it says these words. It says, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You know, you know what's going to empower you to do that? The grace of God. The grace of God. A dear friend of mine who's in heaven right now, his, his name is Don Norai. Not too long ago, he took a, a good old trip on the good old gospel ship with some angels, and he went on home to Jesus. But I remember years ago being with my friend Don, and we were in the middle of this conference together for Secrets of the Most Holy Place, and many of you have read that book. And I remember Don giving this particular word on the grace of God. He said, the grace of God will cover you until the blood of Jesus delivers you. I'm going to say that again over us tonight. The grace of God will cover you until the blood of Jesus delivers you. I want to say that again over your life. The grace of God will cover you until the blood of Jesus delivers you. See, God is rich in grace. Uh, you got to hear this. God is rich in grace. He is rich in love. His dream over us is so magnificent. He will envelop you. He will, he will envelop you and surround you in such smothering grace so that the work of His blood can make you a new man and a new woman. This work of grace will literally transform your cravings and your desires and your passions. Woo! Man, I feel fire on this word right now. I feel fire. <laughs> I, I like it when I feel this. Well, thank you. Yes. Listen, the true biblical message of grace is so wonderful and glorious. And I want to tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot live without it. Amen. We cannot live without the grace of God. But we have to be very careful with the grace of God that the grace of God does not become distorted or watered down. Jesus came and he brought us grace and truth. This is in John chapter 1 verse 17. It says that Moses brought us the law. It was through Moses' ministry that God brought the law to us to train and tutor us until grace came. And it says that Jesus, when Jesus came, he, it says that he brought us grace and truth. Now hear that tonight, grace and truth. I, I like to say it like this, and sometimes it really sticks with people, pun intended. It is, <laughs> it is a two-edged sword. The same sword that will prune you and cut you literally is the same sword that heals you. It will prune and it will divide. See, I'm quoting Scripture. I'm quoting Hebrews 4. It says that the Word of God is sharp. It is, it is sharp. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, rightly dividing even between the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. It's able to actually pierce through the intentions and our literal, literal consciousness. The, the Word of God will cut. And we have to... We have to let our minds be renewed that God wants to cut and sever things that are distorted through religion and even through false and wrong teaching so that we see a clear perspective of what God's trying to do in the work of grace in our life. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? God, deliver us from dangerous, dangerous error. I heard a teacher here recently, not here, not here, Victory, but I heard a teacher recently saying that he said that, listen to this, he says, he says, God's, God does not see the sins of his children. Hmm. God does not see the sins of his children since we have actually already been made the very righteousness of God through the blood of Jesus, and he's forgiven our sins Past, present, and future were already forgiven, so God will never see your sins. Now, I, I want you to think about that. Because there are some truths in that revelation, but there is also dangerous error. I want you to beware of something. See, the Holy Spirit cannot be fooled. Brian, man, this felt really good, and all of a sudden, I'm feeling turbulence in this plane. Well, if, you're, if your oxygen thing just comes down, just grab it and put it on, okay? 
just breathe in. Breathe in and breathe out, okay? Help me, Lord. This is important. How does God really see us? How does God see us as a father and as sons and daughters? Is it true that God sees us in the righteousness of Christ Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. But God also sees us enveloped in the work of His grace while He knows He is still working at the intricacies of what is going on within us. Because God is so jealous at His work of mercy and work of grace that He does not tolerate anything within us that will sabotage us and derail us in the end. How does God really see us? I, I was putting together this message and I kept hearing, do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? And if God, is, if God looks us at us in the grace of God, does he really always love what he sees? Now think about that. Does God always really love what he sees about us? This could be sobering tonight. It's okay. Take this. Take this tonight. Will you do it? Take it tonight. Does God always love what he sees when he looks at his people? Think about this. Did Jesus, the resurrected Christ, did he love what he saw when he rebuked five out of seven congregations in the book of Revelation? Now you find this in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And I want to encourage you to put it in your notes tonight to read through chapter 2 and chapter 3. Because when you look... Jesus begins to speak in what is called the loveless church in chapter 2. He speaks to the loveless church. Then he begins to speak to the persecuted church. Then he begins to speak to the compromising church. Whoa, the compromising church. Really? Then he begins to speak to the corrupt church. Then he goes on and speaks to the dead church. Then he goes on and speaks to the faithful church. And then he goes on and speaks to the lukewarm church, these seven different churches of Asia Minor. Now, what's very sobering is that the resurrected Jesus, when he looked at, he, when he looked at his church, he commended them and said, I commend you for this, but I have these things against you. Wow. Jesus said, when I look and I investigate your heart, I applaud what is going on within you. I applaud the grace and, and your, your patience and your persever perseverance and your forbearance. But I have these things against you. And unless you deal with these, it's going to be hard for you. Whoa. Now, can Jesus really talk to us like this in this hour? Can he do that? If the Lord is always pleased with what he sees, did Paul, writing on the behalf of the Lord, did he love when he saw what he saw when he was warning the Galatians? That they had literally fallen from grace and they had moved into legalism. These are good questions. And I, they're questions you need to chew on tonight. That the apostle James, when he was writing as a servant of the Lord, did he love what he saw in the church when he began to rebuke the readers of his letter and he was literally calling them friends of the world and adulterers and adulteress. Wow. See, if the Lord doesn't see our sins, then why would James write these words? This is in James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Listen to what James writes. He said, he said, if a believer who is sick has also sinned, notice that, a believer who is sick and has also sinned, God would forgive him and he would heal him. Wow. Now, if, if God doesn't see our sins, why does the Lord discipline believers in the church of Corinth for their sins? Are you breathing? Is everybody okay in this room? Are you breathing? You can find that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. There's a lot of scripture in here. Listen to this. It says, when you are judged by the Lord. This is 1 Corinthians 
11.32, when you are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Whoa. Wow. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. There's a difference between the discipline of the Holy Spirit and being condemned by the enemy. Amen? Wow. If Jesus doesn't see our sins, then wh- why would he say this word to the church at Ephesus? This is, this is Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. He said, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Wow. Listen what Jesus says to the church in Sardis in Revelation. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What? What? Stop the press. Take the needle off the record. Like, wait, 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 what? This is Jesus looking at his church, and this is what he says. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains, because it's about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received. This is in Revelation 3, verses 1 through 3. Remember, therefore, what you've received and you've heard. Obey it. And repent. Remember this. Everybody look this way. It is the kindness and the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the kindness and the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. What if the Lord rebukes you? I want to help you renew your mind on this. The rebuke of God, you have to let your mind be renewed, is the goodness of God. God disciplining you or rebuking you is good for you. It's good for you. <laughs> what if Jesus was, was, was the guest speaker in a lot of churches here in America right now? And he says, hey, you got a reputation of being alive, but I got to tell you, you're really dead. Whoa. I mean, you go over like a lead balloon. I mean, the, the fog machines are going. The lights are swerving. The announcements were great. Everything was popping. And Jesus comes out and says, you have a strong reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And I have this against you. Man, this is strong. Listen, I am so thankful the way that I was raised in the church. I had pastors, leaders, and teachers that would stand up and they would remind me what 2 Corinthians says when Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're walking in the truth. Test yourself to see if you're walking in the way. This is a sobering walk. In fact, the scriptures tell us this. It says, we are to work out our own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Now, I know this is strong, but I'm here to help you. I'm here to help us. I'm here to help me. Are you with me? He says, receive the word. This is Revelation chapter 3, 1 through 3. He says, remember what you have received and heard. And he says, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come to you like a thief. And you will not know what time I come to you. Wow. Does it sound like the Lord was thrilled with what he saw in Ephesus and Sardis? It really doesn't, does it? He didn't like what he saw. Now, this is something that we need to wrestle with in our own hearts. God, okay, you've given me such abundance of grace. But, Lord, be able to speak to me the hard things. I had a mentor. My wife and I had a wonderful mentor in our life. I remember one day he asked me a prayer or he asked me a question. He said, Brian, how long is it when you know you've prayed long enough? When do you know that you've prayed long enough? Remember that you remember the disciples had a hard time of keeping up with Jesus. They'd fall asleep in the garden. Jesus would be praying, right? They'd just be falling asleep. How do you know when you've prayed long enough? You know, no one had ever asked me that question. 
And I said, you know, I don't know, Pastor. I don't know. No one's ever asked me that. He said, how do you know when you've prayed long enough? I said, how long? He says, when you stop walking away from the hard sayings of Jesus. Wow. Because if you're with the Lord and you stay long enough, your heart will become soft and tenderized, and you're teachable for the Lord to say something challenging or hard to you. Do you know how many, I mean, you know the Gospels, right? You know how many people left and walked away from Jesus when he would teach something hard? They loved the inspirational stories. They loved the bread. They loved the fish. They loved the signs and the wonders, meetings. But the moment that Jesus started saying something hard, it was exit stage left and exit stage right. This is important for us because the Lord wants to be able to speak to His church a strong word in this hour. He has to be able to cut the fluff and the junk out. And that's what's happening in the church of America right now. And listen, we need to let this supernatural work of grace happen in us because the grace of God will train you and tutor you and disciple you to walk straight and narrow on that path. If we don't, many will be offended in this hour, and there will be such a tremendous and great falling away. And we've already been warned about that, haven't we? Listen to this. Did Jesus love what he saw when he looked at the church of Laodicea? I'm still in Revelation chapter 3. Listen to this. This is powerful. Verse 17. Why did Jesus rebuke the Laodicean church? He told them, he said, this is strong. This, man, this is strong. He said, you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Man, Jesus, this message is not going over very well. Give us an inspirational cookie. Give me another slice of pie. And, and just give me, you know, goosebumps on my goosebumps. Jesus, I, this, is, this is wild. He said, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I, see, I wrestle with this. This is the resurrected Jesus. This is not just a word to the church of, of, of the past. It is a word for us to wrestle with now. For all generations and all time. Why didn't Jesus say, look, you're beautifully clothed, you're healthy, you're rich. He said, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind. It's strong language, folks. If he was happy with what he saw in the Laodicean church, this is strong. Why did he threaten to spit that congregation out of his mouth? I'm wrestling with this. You're wrestling with it. I can feel you wrestling with it in this room. Because God's love is very fierce and God's love is very aggressive. Folks, the grace of God is not passivity. The love of God is not passive. The love of God is fierce. God is not against you. He is against what is trying to ambush you and destroy your life. He knows, he knows what sin can do to ambush lives. And he wants to keep his sons and daughters from what can ambush them. It's interesting that this word that Jesus used, he says to those, listen to this, you ready? This is Revelation 3, verse 19. To those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Wow. To those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Here it is, ready? So be earnest and repent. Wow. Isn't that awesome? It's the kindness and the love of God that leads us to repentance. Listen what he said again. To those I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. I think I've said this to Victory before. You know, as a dad, my wife and I, we've got, a, we've got an 18-year-old son. We've got a 17-year-old daughter. I, it is my job as a dad to fill up my kids' love tank. Amen. It's my job to affirm them. It's my job to confirm them and come alongside of them and, and 
comfort them and tell them how wonderful they are and how much I adore them and, again, to fill up their love tank. But if that's all that I did, I would fail as a dad. Are you with me? If I didn't stop them and rebuke them and correct them, they'd go on a wayward path in life. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. He's a good, good father. Those that he loves, he rebukes. And I wonder, can the Lord rebuke us? I wonder, can the, I, I, I wonder, can the Lord rebuke us? I know that pastors can't rebuke people in 2018. The moment you say something hard to people, people run out the door. The moment you say a, a heart, as, as long as you're loving and doting and patting on the back and handing somebody a cookie, they're with you, brother. But the moment you say something challenging and difficult, wow. Can Jesus rebuke us? I, I, I'm not asking you to shout me down tonight. I'm asking you to wrestle with this. It is because God really loves us that he truly rebukes us. But God does not condemn us. Amen? His rebuking is His goodness and His kindness. See, our minds have to be renewed to this. I want to read Titus chapter 2 again over you. For the grace of God brings salvation. And it has appeared to all men. And it teaches us or it trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. See, it's amazing that people can attend the church of America from Carolina, from the Carolinas to California, and they think they can sit comfortably in church all the while they're living and deceiving themselves because of sin. Sin is not, uh, grace is not an invitation to fall into sin. Man, I feel stuff popping in here. God's grace wants to train us. How tragic is it today? Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. How tragic is it today that God's people literally are making the mistake of hearing God's corrective love and they think it's the condemning voice of the enemy? How sad is it that people are resisting the purifying work and the fire of the Holy Spirit? Because they think it's all right. Wow. I got a friend, a friend of mine in the ministry. He, he had a, I've, I've had some of these scenarios, but he told me about this scenario that there was this young couple that came and he wanted, they, they wanted him to pray for him. They just wanted a blessing over, over their relationship. And so he waited and prayed for just a second. And he said, hey, he goes, you guys are dating, right? And, and they said, well, well, yeah. And he says, you guys sleeping together? <laughs> you guys sleeping together? They were like, wait, what? They, and the guy said, we want you to pray a blessing over us. He said, no, I'm not going to pray a blessing over you because you're sleeping together. You're committing fornication, and I'm not going to pray a blessing over you. Now, if you stop sleeping together, then I'll release a blessing over you. We got to let our minds get renewed, folks. We got to wake up from our sleep. In our carelessness, and our casualness, and the grace of God. Okay. <laughs> it's amazing that sometimes the church is not seeing things as sin, really the way God sees it truly as being sin. I want to ask you some questions tonight. Has Jesus really justified you and I by his blood? Yes, he has. Everybody say yes. Has Jesus really justified you by his blood? Oh, yes, absolutely he has. Has Jesus truly set you and I apart to be holy unto himself? Without a doubt. Has Jesus called us to be sons and daughters all by his love and all by his grace? Yes, he has. But with that in mind, 
Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. And it's a strong word. He says, because we have these amazing, precious promises of God, he said, let us work hard at this, perfecting the holiness of God in our life that we would literally flee from lust. See, when I, when I say lust, folks, I'm not, I'm not just talking about pornography. I'm not talking about people in here that's running after somebody else's wife or, you know, a, a adultery. And it may be that, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to discount that. But I want you to understand the world has a lot of glitter. It, had, it has a lot of glitter and gold on it that will get you to run after things that God's heart is not in. That is why we have to stay with the Lord. So our heart is so tenderized before Him that when the Holy Spirit says, son or daughter, I want you to leave that alone or depart from that, that you do it. You just do it. You know, here's a strong word. It's not Brian's word. It's Jesus' word. He says, if you love me, you will obey me. That's strong. If you, not if you, if it feels good, if it, if it feels good, no. He says, if you love me, obey me. There is, there is nothing legalistic about telling you that obedience is demanded from God. A son and a daughter, you, you've raised children, right? What did, you had expectations in your house, didn't you? You had expectations. Obedience. But, Dad, I don't understand that. Obey me. But, Dad, that doesn't make any sense. Obey me. Mom, that doesn't make any sense. Obey me. Wow. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. Wow. Now, Jesus brought us grace and truth. Grace is a beautiful gift from God, ladies and gentlemen. You and I cannot live one day without it. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is also what it is the empowerment for you to be trained to overcome sin. Amen? But if you abuse the grace of God, you can literally be in danger of hellfire. If you, if you dishonor the grace of God in your life, you can literally sear your own conscience. May that never be your story. May that never be any of our story. That we have such a tenderized heart to the spirit of grace. To the spirit of grace when, when he says, son, don't do that. You say, yes, father. Daughter, don't do that. You say, yes, father. I'm here to help you tonight. Remember that. I'm here to help us tonight. See, without truth to grace, we have a very distorted message, don't we? And that, that distorted message actually lends a certain type of confidence of promoting compromise, and we can't yield to it. In 1 John chapter 1, it says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If the Holy Spirit ever, ever shows you something in your heart or in your life that is displeasing to the Father, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, folks. Please, let your mind be renewed. That's a good thing. Of him saying, son, I got you. I love you. I've got you, daughter. I've got you. My grace is enveloping you and covering you. But I want you to see this so that you can what? Repent of it and turn away from it. It is the kindness and the goodness of God that leads us to what? Folks, repentance is not a dirty word. The churches in America should have altars filled still with people repenting. Not to a man. He's your high priest. Come on. I'm not putting on my robe and my high hat. He is your high priest. 
And I started this in Hebrews 4, reminding us we have a high priest that has literally moved affectionately over our lives, who understands the turbulence of the things that we wrestle with and go through in life. And Jesus, it says, was tempted in all like matter, yet he was incorruptible. He was sinless. He was incorruptible. You remember when Moses was commanded to build the Ark of the Covenant. It was made out of acacia wood. And it was hand hammered. Acacia wood is literally incorruptible wood. And that speaks of literally the divinity of Jesus. He could not be corrupted. Isn't that beautiful? He is our mercy seat. (laughs) I want you to go to Romans 6, and we're going to close with this tonight. Y'all okay? (laughs) You are. You're okay. (laughs) You're okay. Romans 6. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. Everybody shout amen to that. The Passion Translation. So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that the so that God's kindness and grace will increase? <laughs> what a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all. As the dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into this union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union With his death? Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him. So that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. Verse 5, you all with me? Verse 5, for since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like this, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and a new life that he imparts. Could it be any more clear that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Let's keep reading. Obviously, a dead dead person is incapable of sinning, and if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death. Watch this. And its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. But now he lives continuously For the Father's pleasure. we got to keep going. So let it be the same way in you and I. Amen? Let it be the same in you and I. Since you have now been joined with Him, you must continually view yourself as dead. I love this. View yourself as unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure In union with Jesus, the anointed one. Make that your declaration, folks, that I am unresponsive to sin's appeal. What a declaration. I am unresponsive to the world's glitter. I am unresponsive to that voice. Verse 12. This is good news. Sin has, or sin is a dethroned monarch. So you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to to obey its desires and its cravings. So then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately 
Answer God's call to keep you yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. Keep going. Keep going. Look at it. You live now for his pleasure. Ready to be used for his noble purpose. Remember this. Ready? Sin will not conquer you. For God already has. <laughs> I got to read that. Remember this. Sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. Wow. Wow. I am reigned by the grace of God. I am reigned by the grace of God. I want you to put your Bibles aside tonight. What was I talking to you tonight about? I'm talking to you about biblical grace and living a lifestyle of repentance. It is an ongoing lifestyle of repentance. What is repentance? It is the changing of the heart. It is the renewing of the mind. It is the changing of the heart and the renewing, the changing of the mind. That's what grace does. Grace trains and tutors and educates us to walk holy before a holy God. Folks, is this possible? Yes, it is. This is the good news. This is not impossible stuff. It is possible because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Amen. Would you stand tonight? Father, Jacob, would you come? Would you join me? Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you that you are rich in grace and you abound in grace. And grace was all about your dream, Father. You dreamt it to give Jesus for us so that we could become new, new men and women, sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, I thank you that your grace has been shed abroad in our hearts. I thank you that you have not left us powerless, but you have defeated the enemy. I thank you that at the cross, through the power of your blood, you defeated the enemy. I thank you for the victory and that banner of victory that you have placed over every one of us. And that you are leading us into triumph. And that everyone in this place will crush Satan under their feet as sons and daughters of the living God. I thank you that we are not the, the old man. We are no longer ruled by the prince or the power of the air. Lord, I thank you that we are sons and daughters, not of disobedience. We are sons and daughters of obedience. Father, I thank you for your patience in training us how to say yes to you. I thank you for training us how to say yes to you and how to obey you and how to walk humbly and holy and worthy before you. Lord, may you be able to rebuke us and may we be able to repent quickly. Lord, I pray for us as a family that you can speak what you need to speak and we respond. And we respond properly and we respond maturely. I thank you. I thank you that your word still cuts and your word still heals. I thank you that your word still prunes and your word still brings fruitfulness. Glory to God. 
Would you lift your hands tonight? I bless you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I bless you that the very consciousness of the Spirit of God within you is so alive. That you hear the voice of the Lord leading you, saying, walk this way. Depart from here. Go here. Walk with me here. See my favor. See my grace. See my dream over your life. I bless you to be strong and courageous. I bless you to let the fierce jealousy and love of God penetrate your soul and your spirit. I bless you to be wise. I bless you to be courageous in a time of great compromise and conformity. I bless your soul to be strong in the Lord. Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com.